Well, as we, as we turn to God's Word today, I am glad that we're in a text that can so easily unite us and so easily excite us. Psalm 8 is one of those portions of God's Word that simply surge with joy and with excitement. This is a psalm about the majesty of God. Actually, be more accurate, I think, to say that this is a psalm that worships the majesty of God. In this psalm, David is almost breathless with praise. He starts in, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And it's as if virtually every statement after that could have an exclamation mark after it, could be in bold font, underlined, italicized, because the man is excited. The man is enthused. The man's heart is full. There there aren't many psalms, actually, that are like this. Many of the psalms are very different. In fact, many of the Psalms, to be blunt, David has to talk himself into praising. Many of the Psalms, he has to talk himself into praising and then plead with us to join him. In the midst of his pain, in the midst of his problems, he grabs himself by the collar, kind of shakes himself up and says, come on now, let's praise the Lord. Let's remember who God is. But that doesn't happen here. We can identify with that. For For I am guessing, or let me just at least speak out of my own experience. I'll describe an experience that I've often had. Maybe you've never had this experience, but I have had times, I have had many times when I have not felt like praising. I've had many times when uh, it has been hard to get my praise on, as they say. It has been hard for, for me to praise God. My faith has felt limp, my emotions have been cool, my mind has been dull, my body has been weak, my thoughts have been shallow, my joy has been dim, my gratitude has been weak, my praise has been sleepy, my singing has been muted, and I don't know about you, but I've been there many times. And, and it's hard to figure out, because I, I live in a world that is bursting with the glory and the goodness of God, and yet it feels at times like the praise impulse and response has been unplugged. I I live in a world where there are, as the song says, 10,000 reasons to praise, and yet it feels like not one of them is working. Not one of them is producing what it ought to Produce. And I'll go out on a limb and make this bold assertion that everyone in this room has felt that same experience. And you haven't been able to figure it out. It just, it just happens. And in fact, I'll, I'll go out on a limb here and say some of you really didn't want to be here this afternoon. You, you weren't in the mood for praise. You weren't in the mood for worship. You'd you dragged your heels, and when we were singing, you didn't feel like singing, and, and, and that, that may trouble you deeply. I, I would suggest don't panic over that. 
That's, that's, that's part of the frailty of our lives. That's part of the frailty of our flesh. We are, we, are, we are weak, and there are times when it just doesn't happen. And yet there are times when, like David here in Psalm 8, it is all engaged, where, where you just, your heart is ready, your heart is poised, and from start to finish, there is praise. There is energy in David's prayer. It is impulsive. It is effusive. It is expressive. It is expansive. And it is personal. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When, when I consider the works of your hands, the sun and the moon that you have set in place. You have set your glory above the heavens. These are the work of your fingers. There's no hymns or hisses in Psalm 8 when referencing God. This is between David and God. This is David, a believer, worshiping God, his creator. This is a psalm sung to God. Many of the psalms are sung about God. Many of the psalms are sung, you have a combination of about and to, but here it's all to. Yeah, this is just David with his God, and, and brothers and sisters and friends, this is between us and God. This, this, is, this is a moment for us to explore this psalm together with our hearts ready to praise. So here, here's the point of this psalm in a simple statement. God's multifaceted glory, His multifaceted glory should ignite a praise of His majesty in the gathered church. God's multifaceted glory should ignite a praise of His majesty in the gathered church. Church. Let me just say right up front, this is in the gathered church because the Psalms were written for God's people as they congregated together. These, these are first of all congregational hymns, congregational songs more than personal devotions. And they were sung when God's people got together. And so we're told in Colossians, sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual Songs. So these are meant to be sung together. So God's multifaceted glory should ignite a praise of His majesty in the gathered church. Now, I'm, I'm not very familiar with diamonds, but I know a rock when I see one that is worth looking at. There are diamonds, and then there are diamonds. Check out this diamond. All right, it's the Pink Star Diamond, 59.6 carats. The average engagement ring has a one-carat center diamond. So you could fit the average, if my calculations are right, 59 of the average diamonds inside of this. Galen's ring that I bought 40 years ago when I was dirt poor, I think you could fit 200 <laughs> inside this diamond. It's astonishing. Uh, it's worth 80 
million dollars. That's what it sold for on auction not that long ago. $80 million. But notice the facets. You see, the facets, the, the, the flat surfaces, ever so small, it took them two years to cut this diamond. To cut it almost to perfection so that every facet, every surface would reflect light and refract light so that it would shine and glow. Two years to cut this so that the beauty of the diamond could be seen in its multifaceted splendor. I suggest to you this afternoon that God has been cutting the diamond of His multifaceted glory since the dawn of creation. God has been creating these these reflections of His light and His brilliance and His glory and His majesty that shine forth in ten million and billion and trillions of ways so that we would see His glory and as we see the multifaceted glory of God, it would ignite praise in us as His people. So, What are the facets of His glory here in Psalm 8? Let's go through them. Facet number one is the facet of His eternal self-existence. His eternal self-existence. We see this in His name in verse 1 and again in verse 9. O Lord, capital L-O-R-D, O Lord, Our Lord, how majestic is your name. That's the translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh. Every time you see capital L-O-R-D, that's the the name Yahweh. There, There is something, believe me, there is something in that name. There is something glorious in that name. I I took the time this week to Google strong sounding guy names. There was one, one list of 85 names of the strongest sounding guy names. Timothy wasn't anywhere on the list. <laughs> Nowhere. Here, here were the top 10. Arnold, Amel, Maynard, Andreas, Griffin, Ethan, Kawan, Bernard, Denzel, and Etan. Apparently. Timothy should be here somewhere, but it's not. Apparently, there are many who hear these names and they think strength. Well, here is a name that when you hear it, it should almost take your breath away. The name is Yahweh. In fact, this name was so sacred to the ancient Jewish people that they refused to say it. That's why they would translate it with some other word like Lord. And our translations have followed that. I I think it would be better, it would be helpful if it just said Yahweh. But you see, this name, it it communicates more than strength. Many of you would know this. uh, The Hebrew word means I am. God is the I am. He is the one who can say, I exist. I exist eternally. I exist 
independently. I exist unchangingly. I exist. I simply am. You remember when he gave this name to his ancient people Israel, it was to Moses when Moses was in the wilderness and he saw a burning bush. And you remember that the burning bush was never consumed. And it's in that context as there is this blazing fire that is self-existent. It's not burning off the branches of the bush. It is self-existent, self-fueled, self-ignited, self-sustained. That God says, I am. I am. God is saying, that bush is a picture of me. I have existence in myself. I don't need food. I don't need fuel. I don't need anybody to make me or sustain me. I sustain myself. I have being in me. I just am. I always was. I am. I always will be. I always am the I am. This is why Jesus stunned the people of his day when they wanted to know who he was. And he said, before Abraham was, I am. Believe me, they knew what he was saying. He was saying, Abraham, who existed about 2,000 years before, he said, rejoiced to see my day. I am. 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years from now, I just am. I just am. And David, the psalmist here, is caught up with this name. He, he realizes that it expresses the self-existence, the eternal self-existence of God. He is Yahweh. He is I am. Oh, Yahweh, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Folks, if you ever want to get your praise on, if you ever want praise to well up and swell up in your heart, Think about the eternal existence of God. He just is. He just is. Second facet of God's glory that we see here is His cosmic splendor. His cosmic splendor. We see in this psalm that David is, is caught up in creation. He is, he is astonished at it. In verse 1, your name is in all the earth. Again, in verse 9, is in all the earth. So he is, he is looking out throughout all the earth. In the words of Isaiah, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Everywhere you look, all around you, up on the highest mountain, down beneath the deepest rock, under a microscope. Everywhere you see, there is the glory of God. He sees God's glory in the world. But then he looks above the world. He looks up into the heavens. And we see in verse 1, you have set your glory above the heavens. And then down in verse 3, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? David is looking at creation. He is looking at the heavens. He is looking to the stars. And he is awed and he is filled with wonder. Friends, David didn't know anything of what we know about the heavens. David could see in those days maybe 3,000 stars. Maybe. 
Now we know about the heavens that you, you simply cannot count the stars. It is way beyond counting. Again, I want, us to, I want us to see it. I want us to feel it this afternoon. Take a look at this. This is home. This is planet Earth. It's kind of, kind of beautiful. It's, it's wonderful. It's kind of cozy looking, actually. Pretty impressive. It's teeming with life. But don't be too impressed because planet Earth is part of what galaxy? The Milky Way galaxy. Here's a picture of the Milky Way galaxy. There are 200 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. Planet Earth is in there somewhere. See if you can find us. <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's crazy. It's insane. Did you know that there are 2 trillion galaxies? 2 trillion galaxies. And the Milky Way galaxy is one of the smaller ones. So that they've actually taken the Hubble craft has actually taken this next picture, and what you're seeing here are not stars, those are galaxies. It's big. God, God has made outer space, not as a waste of space, He has made outer space as a worship space. He has, he has made it to demonstrate and proclaim His glory. He has made it so that we would look and be amazed and realize He fills it all. He's made it all. He sustains it all. It's all His. And David says, when I look to the heavens, and we, we can look now far beyond he, where He could look. He was filled with praise. How much more us today when we look to the heavens, the moon, the stars that He has set in place, Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. So he praises God. Because of God's eternal self-existence, he praises God because of his cosmic, his cosmic splendor. And then he praises God, third, because of his strengthening praise. We find this in verse 2. You, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. Now, I've got to confess to you, this is, this is a very hard verse to understand. It's, it's, it's very challenging to figure out exactly what David is saying here. Jesus actually quotes this verse uh, on the day of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem when the people were upset with Jesus because he was letting their children praise him. And Jesus quotes this verse saying, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. It's interesting. Jesus interprets Psalm 8 for us and paraphrases it so that what it says here, he, God has established strength out of the mouth of babies. Jesus says what that means in some mysterious connection is that God has prepared praise, that there's a connection between experiencing the strength of God and praising the glory of God. We experience strength, and I don't know exactly how this works, but we experience strength when we praise. 
God's strength comes into us. I think many of us have experiences. We can point to it that, yes, we came in weak, we came in tired, but the praising of God lifted us, strengthened us, replenished us, invigorated us. And David says, this is true even when babies praise. And I don't know exactly how babies praise, but they somehow praise. It may be just by us looking at them, they produce praise in us. It could be that God understands baby talk. I don't know, but they produce praise, and it's enough praise, as we'll see in a moment, to silence the enemies of God. God strengthens us. Remember the verse in Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It seems here it's the praise of the Lord that is your strength. If you are weak, if you're feeling frail, if you're feeling like, a, like an infant child who is weak and needy and dependent, then turn your heart to praise and the strength of God will be established within you. David has experienced that. And so he says this is a facet of God's glory that ignites praise in his heart. That God strengthens through praise. And then he goes on and he talks about God's conquering strength and power. In verse 2 again, out of the mouth of babes and, and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Again, I don't know how all this works, uh, but somehow or other as God, God puts praise in the heart of a baby or in those of us who are weak like a baby... And He strengthens us so that we who are weak become strong through praising Him. It silences our foes. God, God has a way. He loves to use the weak and the frail to overcome His enemies. He did a way back with Israel when they were in Egypt and this tiny puny nation destroyed Egypt. He did it with young David this young man took down Goliath. He did it with a young maiden named Mary who gave birth to the Son of God. He did it with the weak and the cowardly apostles who were like children in their fear. They turned the world upside down. God loves to use the weak to silence the strong. God loves to use the weak to silence and destroy His enemies. You could even say that He did this with Jesus who was born as a baby and, and was a man who was a man of sorrows and, and familiar with grief and a man of weakness. And God took, in one sense, the man who experienced the most weakness any human has ever experienced on the cross, the most suffering, the most sorrow, the most pain, and out of the weakness... He destroyed hell. Out of the weakness, He destroyed sin. Out of the weakness, He vanquished His enemies. And hell, hell was beaten on the cross. This is, this is how God works. He takes the weak, He takes the frail, and somehow gives them strength. And out of that, His enemies are silenced. This is a facet of His glory, this conquering strength. And then there is the facet of His amazing grace. Verse 3, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, 
what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? David here is amazed at the grace of God. David here looks up at the heavens. He sees the splendor and the the vastness of it all. And then he looks at himself and says, who am I? And what is man, O Lord, that you are mindful of us? Why do you even notice us? Never mind care for us and visit us in our our frailty and weakness and smallness. Here you are, the God of the galaxies. Here we are, little specks of dust walking around on planet earth, and you care for us. And, And I think here in this psalm, he's not even thinking about the sin component of this. He's just thinking he's this teeny tiny creature, there is this majestic creator who has filled the heavens with his glory. How come this majestic creator even notices this little grasshopper creature? But then you throw sin into the mix. And this, this, this little creature has rebelled against the Creator. You and I, little creatures that we are, we have sinned against our Maker. We have turned our backs on our Maker. We have said, we're going to do it our way, not your way. We don't care that you have made us. And yet God still cares. And God still moves into our world in His Son, Jesus Christ. He still visits us with the ultimate expression of love and attention and care. He still rescues us. Oh, this is amazing grace. And when I think that God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. The writer of that hymn, He's expressing what David's expressing. What what is man that you're mindful of him? When When I think that you did not spare your son, but you sent him to die, I I can't comprehend it. I I can't. It's it's too much for me. And yet it is true. And so David's praise of God is ignited by this facet of God's glory, his amazing grace. And then finally, and we want to make sure we have time to respond in praise this afternoon. Finally, there is this facet of God's glory, and that is the ruling image of God, or man in the image of God, reveals the glory of God. Get ready to be totally blown away by this. Look at, look at verse 5. Verse 4, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him. This, this is talking about us now, humans, man. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David spends some time here thinking about the fact that even though God is infinite in His glory, transcends the heaven. He has made us in His image to rule in His behalf here on planet earth. 
We are made in the image of God. This is, he's really got Genesis 1 in mind. God made man in his image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. And God said, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air or the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Notice the parallel language and truths there. We are, we are made in the image of God and as such, we rule the earth. The earth is ours to rule. It is ours to have dominion over. And David says we are crowned with glory and honor. We are crowned with majesty. There is dominion and there's power. And we're made just a little lower than the angels. And then we are so very much like God that words that usually are used just to describe God are used to describe us. I, glory. Honor. We are His image, and God has revealed His glory in us. So that every time you see a human being, you're seeing a little bit of the reflected glory of God. I know we've taught on this a number of times in the last couple of years, but we've got to keep coming back to it whenever the Bible brings us back to it. We need to understand this. We are made in the likeness of God, and so there is a dignity, and there is a majesty, and there is a worth, and there is a value that God has placed into us as we reflect Him. But here's, here's the reality. We do look in the mirror, and we don't see the glory. Or we do listen to our conscience, and we don't feel glorious. It's not dignity we feel, it's depravity we feel. It's, it's sinfulness that we feel. And we say, how, how do we reconcile what the Bible says here in, in Psalm 8 and in, and in Genesis 1? How do we reconcile that with our actual experience? Because it doesn't feel that way to us. Well, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 way over toward the end of the New Testament, to Hebrews chapter 2, where we find the fulfillment of Psalm 8 in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. This is, this is telling us that Psalm 8, while it's about us, it is ultimately about Jesus. He is the one who has been crowned with glory and honor, and everything is being put in subjection under his feet. Now, verse 8, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we don't yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, now crowned with glory and honor, because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God 
he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, that's talking about us, Jesus is bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. Down to verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now there's a lot in that text, but here's here's what it's saying, folks. It's saying, yes, you and I, because of sin, have fallen from much of our majesty and our beauty and our glory, but Jesus came into the world a human being. Jesus came into the world as one of us, and as one of us, He was made lower than the angels for a little while. He was humbled all the way to the point of death, but then He came up from the grave. He ascended up into glory, and now He is leading many children, many sons up into glory. Everyone who knows Him, everyone who loves Him, everyone who trusts Him is being led up into glory with Him so that we in the end are going to be higher than the angels with Him. That is our destiny. That's where it's all going. So that Psalm 8 is is fulfilled perfectly in Jesus, and because of Jesus, because we are in Jesus, He is our King, He is our representative, He's on the throne, and we're ascended to the heavenly places in Christ. This is ours. This is our destiny. This is who we are. We are made in the image of God, and there are reflections of His majesty and glory every day of our lives. Look into every human's face, and you'll see glimpses of God. But the day is coming. The day is coming when the words of Matthew 13 are going to be fulfilled. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. And Daniel 12, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Those who are God's people will shine like the sun. Does that sound familiar? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing His praise than when we first begun. When was the last time you actually thought about that phrase, bright shining as the sun, as you were singing that song? It's rooted in the Scriptures. It's rooted in Matthew and in Daniel. The day's going to come when we are going to shine as bright as the sun shines. That the sun up in the heavens, the blazing ball of fire, is going to be dim compared to us. Our glory and our majesty is going to be that brilliant, that resplendent, that awesome. And as people look at us, they will look above us to the One whose glory we're reflecting. And this is a facet. We, believe it or not, we are a facet of the glory of God. A facet that should ignite praise in the gathered church. 
Folks, I know you look at your life, I know you look in the mirror, just like I do, and you say, I don't see it. I don't see it. Remember what the writer of Hebrews said. Said, we don't see everything subjected to him yet, but we do see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. We don't see our own dying and death defeated yet, but we do see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. We don't see creation bowing before us yet or the angels bowing before us yet, but we do see Jesus by faith crowned with glory and honor. We, we don't see paradise yet, but We see Jesus through His resurrection, through His ascension, crowned with glory and honor. We don't have the crowns on our head yet, but we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. We don't see the streets of gold. We don't see the river of life yet, but we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. We don't see the end of our tears. We don't see the end of our sorrows, but we see Jesus who is crowned with glory and honor. And He who is crowned with glory and honor is going to lead us into glory. It is as sure and as certain as is the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that sounds like an Easter sermon, but it should be an every day of life truth for us that the day is coming when we will see everything subjected to us in Christ. And then it all will be turned over to Him so that God will be all in all as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, and forever, forever, God's glory will be seen in His self-existent name, I Am. His glory will be seen in His cosmic splendor as the new heavens and the new earth make this old heavens and old earth pale into nothingness. His glory will be seen in His strengthening power and His conquering of His enemies. His glory will be seen in His amazing grace. And His glory will be seen in each one of us as we shine forth like the sun. And so David says at the end of the psalm, as he said at the beginning of the psalm, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. And we need to sing We need to sing loud. We need to sing with all of our being. I hope that praise is ignited in your soul. And as the the band comes forward to get ready, may it be that our hearts will be tuned. May it be that our spirits will be ready. And don't hold back. Let it loose in praise to God, for He is worthy. O Lord, our Lord, How majestic is your name in all the earth.